Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. And you can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in San Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Jennifer Wallace is the author of Never Enough, When Achievement Culture Becomes Toxic and What We Can Do About It. I interviewed Jenny in person this summer, and it was my second time. She was actually one of my very, very first podcast guests in 2018 when she was a journalist and one of the only people I knew who did any writing. Jenny is an award-winning journalist and social commentator covering parenting and lifestyle trends. She's a frequent contributor to the Wall Street Journal and the Washington Post and appears on television to discuss her articles and other hot topics in the news. After graduating Harvard College, Jennifer began her career in television at 60 Minutes, where she worked as a journalist for many years. She lives in New York City with her husband and their three children. 
Welcome, Jenny. Thank you so much for coming back on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thank you so much, Zibby, for having me back. It's so great. As you reminded me this morning, you were, what, my third guest ever on this podcast? Insane. So. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe how big you've gotten, how oh, much stop. you've grown. It's amazing. <laughs> the bookstore, the newsletter, the being sort of the number one advocate for authors. It was a space that definitely needed filling and you found it and you did it. Oh, thank you. Well, now you're here with what is sure to be a massive bestseller, but I'm getting in before it hits all the charts. Never enough when achievement culture becomes toxic and what we can do about it, which I remember seeing you in the Starbucks parking lot last summer, like working on it, right? Or two summers ago? It must've been two summers ago. Oh my gosh, Sibby. I have been working and writing this for four years. Four years. So maybe I saw you four years ago. <laughs> yeah, two years would have been too late. Well, okay. So tell listeners about the whole journey of this book, and then we're going to go into all the things we have to know and, and all of that. Okay, great. So it probably began, well, it definitely began in 2019 when I wrote an article for the Washington Post about how students attending what researchers call high-achieving schools are now officially an at-risk group after kids in poverty, kids with incarcerated parents, recent immigrants, children living in foster care. It's this new group of kids that are considered at-risk, meaning that they are two to six times more likely to suffer from clinical levels of anxiety and depression and substance abuse disorder than the average American teen. And I have three teenagers who attend these competitive schools. These are public and private schools around the country with generally high standardized test scores and rich extracurricular offerings. And I wanted to find out what was going on and what I could do in my home to buffer against this pressure. Um, to be clear, we're not talking about you know the 1% of kids or the top 10% of kids. We are looking at this cohort of the top 20 to 25% of household incomes, so roughly parents who make a combined income of about 130000 or more a year. Those are the kids that are now officially at risk. And you wrote in the book, you said, a child's pain is a child's pain, right? Because why should we care, right? Exactly. This, is all, this is all really a what was me problem. But when a child is really struggling, it's a big deal. I, I said to the leading researcher, uh, Sonia Luthar, when I was first researching this, I said, there's so much childhood suffering in the world. Why should we care about this group that can afford to alleviate a lot of their problems? And she snapped right back at me and she said, these children do not choose their circumstances. They are in pain. We are not weighing pain on a scale. And I, anyway, yeah, I, I had the same question. So you start digging, you talk to people all over the country, you gave us so many examples of people you spoke to, families you spoke to, kids who sound very familiar to, you know, trying to do this, I'm, I'm on this team, I'm doing that, like, and why is it never enough, and why am I not happy, which by the way sounds a lot like a lot of grown-ups, I know, too, right, yes. does this end, but anyway, tell me about some of the things you learned about this whole achievement culture, and you gave so many tips of, and even things you changed in your own house, which I was like, I think I should, like, photocopy this and put it on the fridge, you know, this is really great. So when you started talking to families, what were some of the things you started finding? Yeah, so I wanted to make sure before I set out to research this book that it wasn't just a problem of a few 
isolated communities or just a problem on the coast. So with the help of a researcher at Harvard, I conducted a first-of-its-kind parenting survey where I wanted to get to kind of where the roots were. I wasn't buying this narrative that parents just wanted, you know, a bumper sticker on the back of their car. I had a feeling that the stress and anxiety that parents were reporting had really deep roots. And so the researcher that I hired said, if we get a sample size of 1,000, that'll be great for, for finding patterns. Within a few days, 6,500 parents had filled it out. It had gone viral. So what I, what I had realized at that moment was that I had hit on something. And as one parent wrote to me, thank you for, for talking about something we are all feeling in our homes, but aren't necessarily talking about. And so what I really wanted to do for myself, actually researchers who study topics that are interesting to their personal lives, call it me search. So this book was very much me search and it was written for me as I'm trying to raise healthy, joyful achievers in a hyper-competitive world. So anyway, so I, I, at the end of the survey, I asked parents to email me if they would be willing to be interviewed either on the record or off the record. And so hundreds of parents reached out. And so I hired somebody to help me do some of these preliminary interviews. And what I found was that this pressure on parents is felt in Alaska, in Washington State, in Maine, in Cleveland, Ohio, in Texas, in Tennessee, in Jackson, Wyoming, in Michigan. So needless to say, it is being felt everywhere. And so what I was hoping to do with this book and for myself was to put into a larger context what parents were feeling. We tend to personalize instead of zoom out and put into context the world around us and why we may be feeling it. I'd love to read you a couple of things that um, I found from this survey. So I asked parents how much they agreed or disagreed with this statement. I feel responsible for my children's achievement and success. 75% of parents felt responsible for their children's achievement and success. And then I asked them, I wish today's childhood was less stressful for my kids. I asked them on a scale from one to four how much they agreed or disagreed. And 87% of the parents I interviewed agreed with that statement. And I will say, you know, I zoomed out and I wanted to know why was my childhood so different than my children's childhood? Why was I, like these parents that I interviewed, feeling responsible for their achievement and success and happiness and you know, matching their extracurricular activities with their strengths and just all of these things. Why, you know, my parents, you know, were very devoted parents. They would drive me places. They would, as I say in the book, they would they would buy me tennis shoes, but they didn't feel responsible for making me a great tennis player who made the tennis team. Why are parents feeling this heavy burden in today's, you know, child rearing? And so I was zooming out and looking at why was my childhood so different than the childhood that my kids are living through. And so I interviewed historians and economists and anthropologists. And while there are a few reasons for this, one that really struck me was the macroeconomic forces that we are raising our kids in today. So in the 1970s, when I was growing up, life was generally more affordable. You know, you could Parents believed that their kids could one day own a house. Higher education was more affordable. Healthcare was more affordable. But over the past several decades, 
we have seen this ushering in of this steep inequality, this crush of the middle class, globalization, hyper-competition. And what parents are feeling is that life is much more uncertain than it was you know, back in the 70s. And so as one researcher put it, parents are, whether or not they're aware of it, they're absorbing these macroeconomic pressures and they are becoming social conduits in, in the way that they sort of pass this pressure down to their kids in order to raise them, in order to thrive in this uncertain future. So this isn't to blame parents. It's just to put into context why we are parenting so much more intensively than our parents did. It's because we fear for our kids' future. Wow. Yeah. And so the ripple effect of that is the behavior and the pressure we put on the kids and the expectations and all of that. So you're, what you're saying is it's, it's, a, it's done out of love, essentially, right? Essentially. I mean, exactly. The job of a parent is to set a child up to thrive when yep. we're no longer around. And parents today are betting big that, the brand, that, that helping their kids get into a brand name college will work as a kind of safety vest, a life vest in a sea of uncertainty. I have to be honest. I feel like, and obviously you've interviewed a trillion people and know much more. My like anecdotal thoughts on this is that actually colleges matter so much less than they used to, even though people are striving so hard to get in. Like I interview people all the time and I barely... Like, it means, oh, you grew up this way, you could get into this college, not you are so smart. You could be just as smart and go to any college. So I feel like the playing field has totally shifted on the professional level from all the things I've seen, at least. I 100% agree with you. The problem is parents are anxious and are sort of fixated. If I could just do this for my kid, it would be a life vest. But that life vest is drowning them. And actually, in the book, I get into... What does, it's not the college brand, it's not the prestige, it's not whether it's a public or a private institution, big or small. There are, what researchers have found, six factors that actually are very strongly correlated with midlife well-being, financial success, and career success. And it has nothing to do with a college brand. But parents are maybe not even aware that they are doing this, right? They're, They're parenting out of fear and out of love. But like you point out, it's misguided. Mm-hmm. It's true. I mean, even with starting with childhood soccer and travel soccer and all these things, it is so hard to feel like you are the one opting out of a race that you're, you may opt out, but actually you're, then you're going to lose the race, right? <laughs> so, so and, and if you opt out, what does that mean? Like, is there something, can you ever get back in it if you opt out early? And what does that do? And all of those conflicting thoughts and then the pressure in the friend groups, like, what are you doing wrong? And then you have to start to think like, am I doing something wrong? You know, I obviously want the best for my kids. I don't know. (laughs) Yes. It's what you're pointing out is that there's a social contagion. Yes. That it, it becomes almost like this frenzy. And what I found from, so I, I went in to answer your question, yes, you can opt out. And it actually may be the best thing for your family and for your kids if you're thinking about sort of long-term achievement. So in the book, I went in search of who are the healthy thrivers? Who are the kids who are, who are achieving in healthy ways? What did they have in common? What did their parents focus on at home? What were, what, what did, 
what was school like for them? What were their relationships like? And it actually, I found about 15 things these healthy achievers had in common. And as I was looking for a framework to present my findings to parents, I came across this psychological construct called mattering. Yeah, I read that. And it is this idea that's been around since the 1980s. It was originally conceptualized by Morris Rosenberg, who brought us self-esteem. So this, you know, highly esteemed researcher. And he found that the kids who who enjoyed healthy levels of self-esteem had a deep sense that they mattered, that they were valued and significant and important to their parents aside from their external accomplishments. So there have been there's been studies over the last several decades that people who are thriving in adolescence and in later life enjoy this high level of mattering. They feel valued for who they are at their core by their family, their friends and community, and they are importantly depended on to add meaningful value back to their family, to their friends, to their communities. And this high level of of mattering, it acted as like a protective shield that buffered against stress and anxiety. These kids would still have failures, they'd still have setbacks, but what mattering did, it was this kind of buoy that would raise them up. And so if we're looking for where to put all of our parental energies, because I certainly bring a lot of parental energy to my own parenting, what I have found is the parents who are raising the healthy strivers focus on mattering, which is different than achievement. Mm -hmm. And it's actually different than loving your kids. We all love our kids unconditionally. That is, I have found that in the hundreds of parents I have interviewed, in the hundreds of parents I know, no one loves their kids conditionally. Unfortunately, too many kids today are feeling the love and the regard of their parents as conditional. And it is damaging. I mean, the kids I found who were suffering the most believed that they mattered, that their mattering was contingent on their performance. Mm-hmm. Or the other group were very, they felt like they mattered to their parents, but they they lacked social proof that they mattered because nobody depended on them. They were never dependent on to add value to anyone other than themselves. And that also creates this kind of lopsided, hyper-focused sense of self, which can be very destructive to a young person or really to anybody. I literally went through your like some of your findings and sat there with my kids last night. I was like, okay, do you feel like my love is contingent on your success? Do you feel like you need to do, do you feel pressure? And I went through and then they were like, no, 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 no. It's all good. It's all good. I'm like, okay, fine. <laughs> I do think that's true about you, Zibi. I think you you wrap your kids up in this in this love that they never feel like it's dependent on. No, I know. I mean, our kids know each other, so I've seen you up close and personal with your parents. Oh my gosh, thank you. But I do think it's like, it it would be useful, and maybe you have this somewhere, like to have like, and I know you have discussion questions and all these things related to the book and for parents, but even like the quiz to give your children. Like, do you have that, like a self-rating tool? So we- um, Did I miss it? Sorry if I did. No, it's not in the book. Okay. But it is, we are, I'm with a, several co-founders, I'm starting something called the Mattering Movement, which will be the action arm of the book. So in the book, I have stories, I have tips. And then for parents like you who want to go deeper, I'm creating this Mattering Movement where we will have things like assessments and interactive things that you could do with your kids and that you could do for yourself. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact 
you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Isn't it interesting, too, I mean, this, this sort of dovetails on the timing of the Black Lives Matter movement mm-hmm. and in terms of mattering movements and the effect of not feeling like you matter. Maybe just speak to that for a second. Yeah, I mean, it is what I, what I have found among the parents I interviewed and what I have found, you know, anecdotally in my own life and what researchers who study mattering have found is that we are li- really living through a mattering deficit. When we think about the pressures, when we think about... so. Let me back up and talk a little bit more about what mattering is. So mattering, it it answers this core human need that we all have to feel seen and significant and understood and valued. And researchers have studied it all over the world. It is a universal need that they say after the the drive for food and shelter, it is the need to matter that drives all of human behavior for better and for worse. Wow. So for better, when we feel like we matter, we show up to the world in positive ways. We want to contribute. We want to add value to the people around us and to our society. We want to leave the you know the world a little better than we found it. When we don't feel like we matter, we can show up in the world in destructive ways. I, you know, the FBI has looked at looked at mattering and how it relates to domestic terrorism. Wow. You know, a, a, a very sad, you know, anti-mattering moment are school shooters who feel like they don't matter and they'll show you they matter. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I think what we are seeing is a world in which places where we used to matter naturally, neighborhoods, places of worship, you know, bowling, social leagues, bowling leagues, these places where we used to feel valued are no longer around. And we are siloed in our individual homes trying to prove our mattering. And we prove it through, you know, either academic achievements or by, or when we feel like we don't matter, we can turn inwards. We can become anxious, depressed. We could turn to self-harm. Um, so we are in a mattering deficit. I think that's why, in part, the even someone liking a comment on Instagram can make your day. I mean, like, 
or like writing something and, and having someone else out there say they feel the same way or just like, like we need the littlest things exactly. to keep us going. A hundred percent. Mattering occurs in life's little moments, right? It doesn't have to be this huge, this huge shift in your life. It's a, it's these small cumulative shifts, like, like the people in your life, whether it's online or offline, showing them that what they say matters. It yeah. has value and it's somehow added value to your life. So you do have this one part where you talk to one dad who's like, but what if you have, what if you do need to push your kids? Yes. Right. What, like what then? And how do you know? And how do you manage that? Yes. So that's also something I asked psychologists that I interviewed and they gave me really good advice, which was number one, kids want to do well. So get that out of your head that you have, you have a child who has no interest in achieving or doing well. Kids feel good when they do well and they want to feel good. So you know, one thing to do is get, think think about what's going on in that child's life that's getting in the way. Could it be a learning difference? Could it be that they're not, that they don't have close relationships at school and they feel like this really low sense of belonging, which can really preoccupy their brains and take them away from studying. So get to the root of why they are not doing well. If you've gotten to the root of that and, and you discover that it's because your kids have no study skills, which I often found with my own with my own sons, not my daughter, but with my boys, I, I what I was advised to do by the psychologists in middle school and upper middle school, I actually wrote an article about this and I interviewed psychologists and they said, focus on how the work gets done. Don't focus on shiny outcomes. Don't look for the A, because frankly, our kids can get an A by cheating. Right. So instead, what you want to be doing, especially in the in the middle school years, is to provide a scaffolding, showing them you can have rules in your family about how the work gets done. You could say, you know what, after school or after your activity, have a few minutes of downtime and then we're going to buckle in and we're going to get X number of work done. And we're not going to get it done in your room with your phone on your desk. So you're distracted. We're going to move the phone into the kitchen or somewhere else and you can take breaks, but we're going to, we're going to have good work hygiene. And so parents can have rules and focus on that. And when kids know how to do the work, the grades will come. But what about sports? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. Let's say your kids don't want to do anything. Like yeah. they just want to come home and hang out and whatever. But it's really important for us all to move, even just for a health yes. standpoint. Absolutely. I don't mean like traditional, they have to be on a competitive team. Mm-hmm. I'm, but although there are all these studies about the importance of being on a team. So there's that. And then there's the need to move. And then there's like maybe some kids who would prefer to just come home and lay on the couch and maybe read or maybe do whatever. I don't know, just like chill. Yes. <laughs> so. Well, I think it's a parent's job to teach a child how to live a balanced life. And so what does that mean? What does a balanced life? And these are conversations that we should have with our children about what we value as parents. And so one of the things that in our home that we value is we value taking care of our bodies. What does that mean? That means getting enough sleep. That means doing some sort of exercise. It doesn't have to be competitive. It could be walking around the block with a headset on. We value our work. We value doing good work. And we value our relationships and we value time for that. And so what I have found, you know, there are some families that I interviewed where the kids were hyper-focused and overworking. And so those parents had to put up boundaries around their children's work. 
and they had to say, you can't sign up for four AP classes. And then there were other families like you talked about whose kids had not found the thing that interested them. But I will, I promise you, and every psychologist I interviewed said, your children have interests. You just have to get a PhD in them and find out what their interests are. What makes their brains light up? When they talk about, what do they want to talk about? And so I talk about in the book how to sort of encourage this healthy fuel by getting a PhD in them. What are their natural strengths? And if you're really stuck as a parent, I found this so helpful. There's something called the VIA Character Survey, which is a free online survey that was developed by two of the world's leading positive psychology researchers. Really, they were the grandfathers of the positive psychology movement, Marty Seligman and Christopher Peterson. And there is a version of the quiz. It's like a 10-minute or so online quiz. There's a version for kids, and there's a version for adults. And so everyone in my family did it. And my kids were able to see these were their natural strengths. These are where, and, and actually it matched up. I, could, I wouldn't have had the words to say these were my kids' strengths, but they really did match up. And when things happen or were they when they weren't motivated, I would look back on these strengths and I would say, oh, interesting. For my daughter, it's humor. So what, what could we do to sort of encourage that strength? She could write, she could read funny books. She could run, write a funny short story. We could watch a funny movie together. So anyway. Wait, so where's the quiz? The quiz. <laughs> so if you head to thematteringmovement.com, yep. you will find the VIA character survey. VIA character. Okay. Actually, my son just emailed me last night. He took some survey last night and was like, you have to take this. There are like 16 different personality types. Oh, yeah. I mean, there are lots of I know. these. Yeah, yeah. This one is really um, scientifically validated and great. Okay. And oh. it's good for them, right, to yeah. get to know themselves no, they and love for us to places. get to know them, <laughs> yeah. right? Stepping aside from all the stuff in the book, how are you managing <laughs> being the the holder of all this precious information that, like, is so needed and you have to... I feel like you're, like, in a buffet line and there's, like, they're, like, all these starving people and you're just, like, throwing out plates as fast as you can. It is... That is a good image. And I, I am feeling <laughs> like... I feel a little bit like a buffet line and I am so grateful because, you know, I did write this book for me, but I wrote it for parents and I do feel like the experts that I interviewed... The parents that I met with all around the country gave such great advice that I've already implemented in my own home. So I am excited. I have lots of talks lined up. If you head over to my website, you'll see a list of them. You said there are 80 coming up. That's insane. Oh my gosh. It's, it's a lot. just getting started. And I'm and I'm taking my own advice in the book and I'm setting some boundaries around how much travel I'm doing because it is my oldest son's senior year of high school. And, you know, I said to him, we, I had a conversation when I was accepting the speaking engagements. A lot of them were on Zoom. And I said to him, you know, I really want to be there for your senior year. And he's like, Mom, you've worked for four years. Go enjoy this. And I said, honey, I'm not staying home for you. I'm staying home for me. Like, I want to enjoy this is, as a parent, my Super Bowl. It is, I'm so thrilled with with you know where he is in his life and and to be a senior in high school and and to really see it all come together is I want to relish it and so yes I'm going to be on the road a lot in September and October but then after that I've really limited the travel and I'm accepting zooms <laughs> so that I could be there after school for my kids 
It's amazing. Well, this book is really going to impact families on the most sort of intimate, important levels, and it's going to start changing. And how great would it be if the whole culture could shift and just like take that collective side? I feel like people are so desperate for someone to be like, it's okay if you don't do all this. Like yes. I think people just, but they don't have the confidence and, yes. and and I understand, you know, because I'm like, I chose not to do travel soccer. And I'm like, you don't have to do travel soccer. But then I'm like, well, maybe I was wrong about that. But anyway, I think anytime people hear it, you can like see their shoulders just kind of like fall. Really? Like, okay. You know why? Because instinctually as parents, we know that what's happening right now to childhood isn't right. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel right at home. It doesn't feel right in our children's lives. And we are all seeing the anxiety, stress in our kids and we're looking for changes. So when I sold this book in 2019, I thought I would have a hard time convincing parents to focus on mattering. I'm not. Well, well, heard it here. (laughs) Everything is about to matter. Jenny, you're the one who's bringing it to the world and how amazing is that? So cool. Congratulations. Really awesome. Thanks a lot. Okay. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.